Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. If you want to get in touch with the show, email us at IllegalMotionPodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Illegal underscore Motion. Thanks for downloading. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Los Angeles, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And joining us from Nashville, Tennessee, straight out of the film room, it's the coach, Corey Burton. What's going on, guys? Just uh, another good uh, another good day for the podcast. Uh, a very good recruiting special, one that we've been looking forward to. Uh, just to show you guys that we're not just football related, we're we're actually recruiting as well. We're gonna we're gonna get you some uh, some much needed uh, variety here. So uh, as we as we close in the signing day, some very interesting things going on. We got an action packed show yet again. So uh, I'm ready to rock and roll. Sounds good, Coach. Yeah, uh, and we will be having we will have a um, we will have a signing day recap coming up uh, next week. But for now, we want to we're going to be getting into talking about some of the the big races before signing day. But we'd be remiss if we did not uh, introduce the third member of the three amigos here um, uh, from the second city, um, a man who takes more joy in Carson Palmer's failures than anyone else on the planet. It's our intrepid blogger Josh Cook. Yeah, I've got an old grudge dating back to a Rose Bowl or an Orange Bowl from a decade ago. So, hey, whatever. I can be a little petty. I'm I'm human. Yeah, well, you know, uh, Josh, you you've claimed he's he's been a bust since I'm, I'm I mean I've known you for more than ten years, and you've been I, I'm he's sorry a- he didn't win a playoff game until this year for his entire career. Assuming yeah. they lose tonight, and assuming he never wins another one. Will be one in four. Does that sound like someone who's a Heisman Trophy winning, like legit star of a quarterback? Uh, better than Matt Leinart. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Better than Jason White. That, oh. uh, well, better than David John Booty. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Anyhow. Well, better than Mark Sanchez. Maybe we found a common theme. Maybe there's a reason why it's running back you and not quarterback you. Hashtag you're the running back, right? <laughs> well, maybe uh, uh, may- maybe Kessler will, will be the one to change all that. But, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk about drafts uh, when we get closer up to the draft and combine season. But tonight, it's talking about the college football stars of tomorrow. And so we're going to be talking recruiting. And so uh, we're going to start off our little discussion by uh, – you know, we're going to be uh, leaning heavily on the coach tonight. He's our recruiting guru, recruiting expert, uh, longtime uh, rivals employee. And so all of our ratings that we'll be talking about tonight, four stars, five stars, top 10, top 20, top 100 kind of stuff, these will all be based off of the Rivals.com ranking. So if you're interested in that, uh, we highly recommend you head over to Rivals and, uh, and check it out. Um, but we're going to start with a, a recap of some of the big high school All-American games. Um, and so, uh, you know, the big one, obviously, is the, the Army game, Coach. And so uh, I just want to know, you know, a couple kids who, you know, really impressed you during, you know, sort of All-Star season here. Well, uh, I think the I think the guy that impressed me the most actually was Shea Patterson. He's uh, he's the number three player overall in the Rivals 100. He's committed to Ole Miss. Um, he actually kind of in in the Army game outshined Jacob Eason. Now I, I will be honest with you, I didn't watch the Under Armour game, so I don't know a whole lot about it. But I was very impressed. Uh, I would I probably have to say Shea Patterson was the MVP of that game for both sides for me. He really impressed me uh, quite a bit actually, and. Uh, yeah, that, that's that's the guy that really stood out to me. Everybody else, you know, these all star games are just, you know, it's everybody's kind of the same. Everybody just kind of right there on that equal footing. So, you know, you never know what you're what you're really getting uh, with these all star games. So, um, you know, overall, I think the Army game was actually a lot better than the Under Armour game um, from uh, from what I've been reading and, and following up on. Did I think you, were you able to check out the Under Armour game? Not really. Uh, I kind of like watched a little bit of it. Um, it was on during the during Georgia's bowl game, so um, and I didn't record it. I'll probably go back and watch it if I if I get a wild hair. But 
Uh, there wasn't as much buzz around it this year as there usually is. There's you, there was more buzz around the Army game this year, surprisingly. But yeah, it felt like all the big it felt like all the bigger names were going to the Army game this year. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you had uh, you know you had your top two quarterbacks there. Uh, actually, top three if you count Felipe Franks, um, who I thought didn't perform all that great, but you know I think he's uh, you know I, I think what he's but, done throughout his but, whole but, high school career speak for itself. Yeah, but let, let, let's let, let's be honest here, though. Like, there, there's a big drop off between those top two guys and sort of the next tier of quarterbacks in this class. Yeah, there is. So, there yeah. is. Yeah, I mean, you, know, you have those three, and then you have everybody else. So, it's it's one of those things where, you know, you just got to kind of take it with a grain of salt. You know, for a lot of these for a lot of these kids, it's the first time they've really played against top tier competition. So. Um, you know, I, I know for Jacob Beeson, it was it was a pretty big culture shock for him um, to uh, to step in the Army game because he comes from a from a Washington school and he probably just wasn't used to the type of talent that there was at this game. So um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's tough to gauge these All Star games sometimes because you just really never know. Yeah, definitely. Well, was there anyone else who stood out to you in, in, in the process? In the process, well, I'm, you know, I think Gregory Little. Uh, I think he stood out. Uh, now, he's, now, he's, he's really, someone, you know, he's someone who's had a very interesting recruiting tale. He's been committed and decommitted at least what three times now. Yeah, he has been. Um, but right now, he's, you know, right now he's committed to Ole Miss. Um, I think he's going to stick with that. At one time, it was A and M. I think he was he was thinking Aggie, but. You know, from what I saw from him at the challenge or what I heard from him about the Rivals five-star challenge back in June is that that commitment really wasn't that strong and that Ole Miss was really making a push. And, and I don't think anybody was shocked when he flipped. But mm-hmm. um, he was he was actually probably one of the standout guys at the Under Armour game. I, actually, if, if you uh, – I'm watching his O-line, D-line one-on-ones right now from practice. Um, but uh, – you know, a guy that just really gets after you big and physical. You know, he stands 6'5", weighs 320, you know, everything you want in an offensive tackle. Very rangy, can 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 kind of – he can protect. He can be that left tackle guy for you. So, uh, very impressed with what he did, uh, especially during practice, especially when he got to compete in one-on-one situations. Um, that's really what you look at. You know, you look at the practices. Generally, those are more competitive than the actual game. So, um you know, that's another name that, that really stood out to me. Excellent, excellent. Well, um, let's talk, you know, we t- we've talked about a couple of these guys who are committed. Um, we we want to spend a little bit of time tonight talking about, I, I think we've got about five guys who are currently uncommitted. And so uh, what we're going to do is, uh, Coach, you're, we're going to have you sort of introduce a player, talk about some of his traits, what schools are in it, and then uh, Josh is going to talk about where he thinks, you know, uh, where he thinks this kid should end up. And we're going to start with uh, the uh, the new rivals, number one player in the country, uh, defensive tackle Rashawn Gary out of uh, Parmas Catholic in New Jersey. Oh yeah, Rashawn Gary. He's uh, obviously number one now. Um, if you look at his huddle highlights, it says number three defensive tackle. Um, the guy, he's unbelievable. You know, he's he's a six five, two hundred ninety pounds, can move. Uh, again, uh, one of the top player in the country, the top player in New Jersey, just gets off the ball with ferocity. Can 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 his get off is about as impressive as it gets. He's very violent with his hands, very strong. Uh, is shown a great ability to bull rush at the high school level, but also displays his ability to use other moves as well. Um, very solid in the run game. Can take on takes on blocks, disrupts everything. I mean, it, just everything you look for in, in a in a five technique defensive end. Um, I'm just I'm watching his highlights right now. He's very versatile. Um, he was very versatile for his team. Um, he played the five technique. He played the three technique. I think he'll be kind of one of those three four bookends. See, um, I, yeah, he reminds me a lot of uh, a pre synthetic marijuana Robert Condici. <laughs> yes. Yes. He, he is. He is exactly that. I mean, he's very, ver- he's very fast. He's very, he can move for his size. So, um, so who are the players, who are the players in right now? I know Michigan has been really hot on him recently. Yeah. Michigan, um, Ole Miss, USC, uh, Auburn. Yeah, he- he's taken, he's taken visits to there, to those places. Um, 
you know, I, I think, to be honest with you, I, I think he ends up at Michigan. He's in um, Michigan. I, yeah, I, I think I think Michigan and USC are the two the two major players for him. Um, you know, I think he's a he's a signing day type decision. So, um, yeah, for me, uh, I, I think what it's going to come down to is um, whether he likes LA or you know, or if he's uh, if he's a Jim Harbaugh guy. Um, I, I think when he went on his visit to USC, he fell in love with it. He fell in love with the city. Fell in love with the program. Um, I think he's. I think he's happy that they decided to keep Clay Helton as on as the coach. And you know, I think everything about USC has kind of mesmerized him. But you know, don't count out Michigan either. So yeah, I, um, I, 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 you know, I found out that it actually looks like he will be taking his final visit actually to Clemson. Ooh, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, this coming weekend he'll be uh, he'll be heading down to Clemson. So that yeah, yeah, absolutely. Throws a wrench in things. It now, does. It does. I mean, they were they were national runner up. Uh, a very, you know, to me the best defensive coordinator in the country, Brent Venables. Uh, you know, Clemson's a great college town. I've been there. The stadium atmosphere is great. Uh, the town will, will get behind you. Dabo Sweeney's not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, so I think that's a good sleeper destination for him. I, I to me though, I, I, I wouldn't be wouldn't shock me if if he stuck with USC or if he just kind of. I think USC is kind of like that unofficial leader. Right see. All right. Well, uh, let's start over to Josh then. Um, Josh, let's let's say you're the number you're you're the number one recruit in the country. You're you're this big defensive tackle. Out of those schools, you know what what are the things you'd be looking for and why? You know, you know where, where would you want to end up? Uh, well, I guess first of all, you want to be on a staff that you think can help you get to the NFL. Because let's be honest, if you're the number one pick, that's your aspirate number one recruit. That's your aspiration. I think Venables has a proven track record of getting defensive players to the pro USC high caliber program. They're a blue blood. He's always going to be on TV, so he'll be seen out there. Uh, so I think those are good places. I do want to say, if Clemson's a sleeper, I've got like whatever's behind a sleeper. I got like a Rip Van Winkle team for you. And that is uh, DJ Durkin did a lot of the recruiting heavy lifting for this kid when he was at Michigan. He's at Maryland now. I'm wondering if the relationship was strong enough that maybe we get a, a crazy stunner of, of Durkin managing to keep those that relationship open and, and pull, pull Gary to – Maryland. I, I don't think it'll happen, but but it is it is curious. Something that can, it's something that could throw a monkey wrench into a lot of uh, people's recruiting plans. Yeah, yeah, I mean, wow, that that is kind of bold. All right, all right, yeah, you know, I mean, Maryland has actually been bleeding recruits lately, so yeah. that would be a that, that would be a very welcome sign for them. Um, well, let's hop on over now to. Uh, uh, to Ben Davis, uh, the number one linebacker in the country. Um, he is from Gordo, Alabama, down in your territory, Coach. Gordo, uh, Alabama. So what what makes this kid, this kid such a player? Well, I mean, he had 105 tackles, seven touchdowns, three sacks. I mean, the kid's just all over the place. You know, he's uh, he's a guy that sits at, let's get his height, his official height, 6'4", 240. You know, a, a guy that you – I mean, he's a prototype Mike linebacker, prototype inside linebacker, um, fits well in any scheme, runs sideline to sideline, uh, actually got involved a lot with the offense as well. I mean, there's just the guys all over the place. You know, you look at him, his instincts are good. Um, he always just kind of feels his way through the crowd and, and, and delivers the blow. And I'm very impressed with him as a linebacker. I think, you know, to me – if I'm a three-four team, I'm going heavy after him. You know, he, he's a guy that can be a playmaker from day one. Um, that being said, you know, I think the major players LSU and Bama. Uh, to be honest with you, I, I, I think it's I think it's Bama. Um, yeah, and he yeah. even came out and said it. Alabama's his leader. It's his home state team. Um, I think the I think Georgia has an outside shot. I think. Florida State would be the Rip Van Winkle team. Georgia would be the sleeper. Um, I think if he doesn't go to Bama, he's going to go to LSU. Um, he took he took his most recent visit to Bama. 
Um, and he says – and he came out after uh, and, and reacted to it and said Alabama is his leader. So if he goes anywhere else, I'd be shocked. Well, uh, Josh, I think you've definitely coined a new term in recruiting for the Rip Van Winkle team. I love it. I'm glad I could bring something to the table. Uh, no, I, I agree with Coach. I think he's really Alabama's to lose. You figure uh, Kirby Smart did a lot of recruiting for him, and so did Jeremy Pruitt. They switched schools. So he, he really isn't losing that much by staying at home, going to Bama. Jeremy Pruitt steps in, a, a guy who he is familiar with from the recruiting process when Pruitt was still with the dogs. So I'm with you, Coach. Yeah. He, I mean, he, I, I, it's definitely Alabama's to lose. Um, I mean, you you got you got to think like Alabama always keeps that kind of talent in state, pretty much. So, um, well, l- let's head over to a guy who, um, you know, has been having a very strange recruiting season, and that's Demetrius Robinson, uh, the the five star athlete out of Savannah, Georgia, uh, number one athlete uh, in the country, uh, number eight overall prospect. Um, you know. Coach, you know, this kid's got some speed. He does. He really does. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm very, very impressed with what he does. I mean, the kid the kid is, my God, I mean, he can go, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's from Savannah Christian uh, down in Georgia. I mean, the kid can absolutely fly. And I'm going to say it again to emphasize, he can flat out burn. And, uh, you know, I, I think whoever gets him – is going to be in, in great shape, I think. Um, to be honest with you, if you really look at it, it's a two-team race um, for him. For the uh, speedster out of Savannah, six foot one eighty. Um, consider he's a five-star athlete, but I think he's uh, he could go either side. But I think he'll make his I think he'll make his plays and he'll make his living on the offensive side of the ball. Um, it's a two-team race between UGA and Notre Dame. I think UGA is the heavy favorite here. The in-state team, Savannah's a heavy, heavy UGA uh, city in Georgia, and uh, I think Kirby Smart's put the put the full court press on him after he after he locked down Easton, um, and that's where I think he winds up. Uh, I, I, you know, uh, one, one quick thing before I get Josh's thoughts is that you know he uh, next weekend, final weekend for in home uh, for for you know campus visits, he's going to Georgia Tech. So, do you think? Do you read anything? Have anything to read into that? Not really. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think so. I just think he's going to give them a shot. They might be looking at him as a quarterback, or they might be just trying to spitball something, or just desperation move something for him. Um, I think he ends up at Georgia. All right. Yeah, I think one team to maybe keep an eye on, and. It's interesting that it's on his list because it doesn't really fit geographically. Um, but Stanford is on his college choices, and he has been offered to them. He's six foot one eighty. That's very, very, very similar to Christian McCaffrey. We talked about his speed. If there's one team that you know would be able to use him and have a lot of interesting looks for Robertson, it would be Stanford. And he seems like a smart kid, too. I was reading he missed a visit to Alabama to take the SAT. That doesn't sound like a Stanford kid. I don't know what else is. Yeah, twice, in fact, he skipped his visit to Alabama. So, um, so Carson Palmer just got intercepted for about the 20th time. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, so it goes. So it goes. All right. Well, let, let, let's keep uh, moving along. Uh, next time we want to talk about uh, – is coach? I know a favorite of yours, McCole McCole Hardman Jr. Um, oh, yeah. out, out of Bowman, Georgia. Um, you know, n- you know, not the biggest guy, 5'10", 171. What what makes you so so high on this kid? Well, I, I think he, you know, he's another two way guy. I think he's a guy that can contribute in special teams. Um, and I think if Georgia signs him, they'll sign him as a defensive back. To be honest with you, uh, and I think he'll make. I think he'll make his hay there, um, and I think he can help Georgia immediately at a at a very thin cornerback spot. Um, he now his high school, Elbert County High School, was one of those schools that wants to put their best athlete at quarterback, and uh, I can see why because uh, he can fly. Um, I think he's right on there, right on par with Demetrius Robinson, and Jack uh, and Flat go. I mean, yeah, he's he's a little smaller than Robinson. Yeah, he's a little smaller. He's he's a couple inches. But he, I, I think, but he, he looks a little thicker on tape. 
He does. He does. I mean, he. I think he looks and plays bigger than he actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a physical kid, despite you know. He's. I don't think he's. I don't think he's one of those uh, people that you would just classify as a burner because usually when you classify a kid as a burner, it means they're they're not really into contact, and I don't think that's the case with him. Um, and I, you know, everything I've heard, he's a he'll be a standout cornerback at the next level, um, but he can help you. He can come in and immediately help you on offense too. That's the scary part about him. He can come in day one, help you wherever you need, and he could go week to week. He could go wide receiver one week and be. I think he, you know, possibly be smart enough and good enough to 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 make the switch constantly. I mean, he could be. I don't want to throw this out there um, because I don't want to necessarily compare him to this guy, but I think the way Georgia might use him could compare to this guy. That's Champ Bailey, who played both sides of the ball. Ooh. Um, I think he could be one of those type players. Um, and and I think if Georgia's going to get him, I think they should utilize him in that capacity. They tried a little bit with Malcolm Mitchell to make him a, a, a two-way guy. Um, but I think but I think he could probably be that two-way player that Champ Bailey was, that, Rod, that uh, Charles Woodson was. Um, you know, those type players, I think he could have some success. Now, whether he is a Heisman Trophy winner, or he's one of the best cornerbacks to ever lace up the cleats in the NFL. That's, that remains to be seen. Uh, that's what Charles Woodson and uh, Champ Bailey have done um, as two-way players. So you never know. But, you know, I'm, I'm looking at his highlights now, and he's a – they've got them all at quarterback. And, and, my God, the guy can play some offense. Yeah, I, mean, I, 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 I see him as almost a Percy Harvin type. Personally, you know, do it just yeah, do a, yeah, just doing a little bit of everything, get him yeah. going to the return game. Yeah, he he could be that too. Um, and I think uh, he I think what kind of got him in, in recruiting, he was a Mark Richton, Jeremy Pruitt guy. Mm-hmm. I think he was he was linked to those two guys um, really heavily. That's why he was heavy on Georgia. Um, and I, I I don't think it's it's out for him. But right now, uh, Ohio State's in the mix. He just took a visit there uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, he just canceled his visit to Alabama. Um, you know, Georgia's in it. Uh, he was he was actually in Athens for the this past weekend. I think it was it wasn't an official visit, but he was at the basketball game. Elbert County's not far from Athens. Um, and uh, he, you know, I think that they're in it. Michigan, uh, I think they were in it for a minute, um, but. You know, Notre Dame has has kind of weaseled their way back into it. So, yeah, Tennessee so Tennessee is in it for him too, I think. But yeah, ten, Tennessee was in it for him early. I think uh, between Notre Dame, Bama, and Georgia, I think they've kind of overtaken Tennessee. Mm-hmm. But Tennessee Tennessee's kind of that Rip Van Winkle school. <laughs> Ooh, uh, nice. Notre Notre Dame is the Notre Dame is the sleeper, and I think it's really between Alabama and Georgia, uh, depending on whether he wants to stay in state or if he wants to uh if he wants to follow Jeremy Pruitt over to Alabama. Um and when Mark Rick went to Miami, a lot of people thought Miami would be a major player, but they, they really they didn't end up being one. But well so 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 Josh, I guess that this brings up a bigger a bigger sort of theoretical idea and that is how much I mean obviously when you sign somewhere you're signing with this with a school. But you know, yeah. so much of recruiting is about relationships, especially not necessarily with head coaches, but with coordinators and position coaches. So I mean, that that's got to be a tough thing in this process. Yeah, and I mean, it, it gets even more muddled with a kid like Hardman because you look on rivals at who he's been recruited by. You see Jeremy Pruitt's name. Well, he's an offensive coordinator. You see Zach Azini's name, Azani or whatever. He's a wide receiver coach at Tennessee. You see Lincoln Riley's name at Oklahoma. He's getting recruited for both sides of the ball by some of the best programs in the game. So for Hardman, um, it it really does, I feel like, come down to some factors of, like, home, how close he wants to be to where he grew up, you know, how much of a tie he has to Georgia as a program, how much of a tie he has to these other recruiting but also for him does he want to be an offensive player or a defensive player what does he think his skill set is best suited for and and that's that's where recruiting always gets me because um despite loving college football 
I'm one of the first to admit I don't I don't really follow recruiting that much because we we've seen five star kids just not work very hard, have injuries, have disappointing careers. We've seen one star kids come out of nowhere. So at this point, it's all theoretical, and we'll see what happens with these kids. I mean, they've got a lot going for them, but there's no guarantee that any of these guys we talk about over the next four years. That's very true. Yeah. Hey, let me let me shed some light on the on the whole like which assistant is recruiting him now. Uh, a lot of these assistants are are uh, assigned territories, so they they get what the what the entire staff does is they 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 create a notebook that every coach has with every position coach's um, expectations or what he looks for in a recruit. So that if you're like let's say let's say I'm the running backs coach at Georgia. And my territory is uh, my territory is North Metro Atlanta, in the and then it's the uh, lower southwest corner of Georgia. Um, I'm responsible for South Carolina, and I'm responsible for Virginia. Okay, mm-hmm. so within those within those territories, I would take my notebook, I would evaluate all the prospects in those ter- in in all of my territories, and then uh, I would I would recruit those territories based on what, what my uh, colleagues, my, my coworkers have, uh, have put in the notebook. So because Lincoln Riley and Jeremy Pruitt are, are recruiting him, I don't think that necessarily means offense versus defense. Now there could be a little bit of persuasion there um, just because of what side of the ball they're on. But um, I think it probably doesn't mean as much as people, people think it means because a lot of it is just recruiting territory. Um, and I think Pruitt had, I, I think, because I know at Georgia, the state of Georgia was, was divided up um, into nine territories, into nine regions for each of the coaches. So each coach had a, had a, had one ninth of the state. So um, that could be a big reason. And then he just, and I think Pruitt really liked him as a corner too. Um, so there's some truth to both of those, but just wanted to shed some light on that. Sweet. Thanks, Coach. Well, one last guy I want to get to really quickly. He's actually a favorite of mine, and it is Nate Craig Myers, number three uh, wide receiver in the country. Um, he is a big athlete out there on, on the wings, 6'4", 220, and he can go up and get it. Right? Reminds me a lot. I know this is, you know, almost blasphemy, but reminds me of Megatron. Um, you know, he's just, he's a big physical kid. Uh, and his recruiting has come down to, uh, three schools, coach Auburn, Ole Miss and North Carolina. So, uh, you know, do, do you have anything to, uh, to add, add about him? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think you, you know, he's that big physical receiver, kind of a Kelvin Benjamin meets Megatron meets, uh, Devin Funches type, type guy, six, four, big body, um, but can run. You know, he's not one of those big body possession guys um, that just runs good routes and finds open lanes and makes catches. I mean, the guy can flat he, go. He's not Mushin Muhammad. He's not Mushin Muhammad. <laughs> Definitely not Mushin Muhammad. Um, but he, I mean, he can go. I mean, for being six four two twenty, the guy can the guy can run. You know, he's not. You know, he he is a he is a really good athlete. Um, to to throw that out there, uh, he's a South Florida kid. Um, you know he's a you know four star kid uh, out of Tampa. He was also at the Under Armour game. I think he just kind of blended in for me. Um, didn't really stand out to me as well. But yeah, I mean you said at Auburn, Ole Miss, and North Carolina uh, last year. He was actually a former Auburn commit. He's decided to open it back up. Uh, th- to be honest with you, I think what's going to happen. Um, I think he's going to recommit to Auburn. I think he's going to stick with it. Um, I think he was just. I think he's just one of those kids that was just opening things back up just to see what was out there. I think he liked what Ole Miss was saying. I think he liked what North Carolina was saying. Um, well, I mean, can you blame him though? Like, uh, no, you know, I don't. I, mean, I don't blame him. Whatsoever. Especially with, with with the class that Ole Miss is putting together. I mean, yeah. don't you want to be catching passes from Shea Patterson for the next four years? Yeah, I, I certainly don't blame him. Uh, but I think there's a reason why he liked uh, Auburn in the first place, and I, I think that goes a long way. You know, it wouldn't shock me in the least bit, least bit if he if he flipped Ole Miss. Um, it would shock me if he if he flipped to North Carolina. I think because of the run they made, they got a they got a serious look. But I don't think he's I don't think there's legitimate as I think they're a solid number three. 
Um, I think right now 1A and 1B is Ole Miss and, and Auburn. Uh, wouldn't shock me if he went to Ole Miss, but I think he sticks with Auburn. But I, to me, it's, it's, it's tough to turn down Ole Miss right now. Uh, maybe he looked at the wide receiver depth and, and, and felt like he had a better chance at Auburn, but I don't know. I, Ole Miss is putting together a pretty nice class. Uh, they got this guy named Shea Patterson. I don't know if you ever heard of him. Greg <laughs> uh, Little blocking for you. Um, he'll be playing opposite Van Jefferson. Um, I mean, Ole Miss is going. Ole Miss might be the favorite in the SEC next year. So I, I don't know about next year. Maybe maybe two three years down the line with this class. But I mean, because we saw that the you know that that epic class led by. Um, uh, led by Kim Diche from, you know, three years ago, that class of um, 2013, those guys were all juniors this year, and this is when they really showed out. Yeah, they really did. Um, I, I just think they – I think they're getting to a point where they're not rebuilding. They're reloading, and that's that's a good place to be. You know, Alabama, I think they have so much coaching change going, going on. This is probably like an extremely early SEC preview, but um, – I, you know, Ole Miss is going to be the. I think they're going to be the top class in the in the SEC. I think they might be. They might be. Josh, you got anything? I think to they add? are. Well, the thing that I'm worried about for Nate Craig Myers is just how much weight he puts on at Auburn. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but one of the Auburn staff members who's recruiting him is Tim Horton. So I I would be very worried about donut weight. <laughs> that he puts on. Yeah, too much coffee. Yes, so, very much. Oh, excellent, excellent. Well, uh, l- let's move now uh, to uh, – we, we just want to talk quickly about a, a couple of the, the, the coaching changes, how they're going to affect recruiting. And so, uh, you know, probably the biggest one of these is going to be uh, Georgia, you know, uh, hiring Kirby Smart as their new head coach. And now, obviously, Coach, you are intimately familiar with the Georgia program. So uh, just take us through, um, you know, is there going to be a different uh, – are they looking for a different kind of player under Smart? Are they going to have different recruiting tactics? How is it going to change from Smart to Rick? From, from Rick to Smart, I should say. Well, I, I just think they're going to be more aggressive in, in offering early. Um, I think you're going to see a lot more uh, – I think you're going to see a lot more offers going out. I think under under Mark Rick, they were very selective with who they offered. They wanted to make sure that that was the right guy. Um, Kirby Smart's not necessarily going to be as choosy. I think if he likes you, he's going to offer you. And he's going to offer a bunch of guys and, and basically say, hey, we're filling X amount of uh, – we're, we're looking for X amount of people at this slot, uh, first come, first serve. Um, and if we're full up, we're full up. And he's not going to be afraid to, uh, to say so. But – um, also, I think he's going to – I think you're going to see the biggest difference in recruiting is you're probably going to see an uptick in the uh, offensive line recruiting. I think we're, I think you're going to see a lot higher caliber offensive linemen finally coming to Athens for, for whatever reason. Mark Rick could not recruit an offensive lineman to save his life. Um, he recruited very few, very few stars, a lot of bust at that position. Wide receiver had become a – a troublesome spot outside of AJ Green and Malcolm Mitchell. There's really not much um, outside of those guys um, as far as recruiting there. So I don't know. I mean, you, you know, you got a guy that comes in and he's just got a whole new energy about him. Um, you know, I, I think that's going to spill over into recruiting. I mean, this guy was a recruiting ace for Nick Saban. So I, I just think you're going to see the budget increase. You're going to see more staffers in place. You're going to see, and this is not because Mark Rick was lazy. Um, I don't think that's the case. I just think that, um, you know, I think he is, uh, he's a tireless recruiter and he's going to spend a lot more time on it uh, than, than Mark Rick did. And I think you're going to see Georgia close a lot better on signing day as well. Josh, how do you think this is going to affect them on the field? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I think it, will impact them greatly because if it pans out, as Coach just said, where Kirby does a better job of filling in holes, does a better job of recruiting than Rick's administration, then George is going to reclaim the mantle in the East because this is a team that's always been athletic. This is a program that's always been knocking on the door. And it just seems like they lacked a little player development and they also lacked 
a little bit of recruiting and it seems like Kirby, key, it was key. It was depth that really, yeah. Like we just didn't have solid depth. I mean, we'd have exactly. Yeah. It, so it seems like Kirby will, is the answer to at least one of those issues. So, yeah, I, I mean, we seem to love Kirby's X's and O's to begin with. And if he is as good a recruiter as he was at Alabama, then you gotta love his off-season work as well. Yeah, I mean, he's put the staff he's put together a bunch of, you know, they're a bunch of like stellar recruiters. So, um, you know, it, it it's a thing that that matters nowadays, and and he is he's definitely hired his staff based on that. Excellent. Yeah. Well, uh, Mark Rick now heads down to Miami, and um, so what, what's he going to be able to do? Or what, what's he going to do down in Miami uh, that will be sort of different from the golden era, Coach? Well, um, I mean, I hopefully think... everything if you're a, a Miami fan, because let's face it, this is it's about as bad as, as it's gotten in a while. I think it's – I think that's the answer. I think he's going to do everything better. I mean, you know, the, the sad part about this whole Mark Rick thing was that he's a great coach, um, but – you know, a great coach in the SEC can often be middle of the pack, especially with the company that you're keeping. But a guy like Mark Richt in the ACC, I think, would be a lot better fit. Um, it's his alma mater. He's uh, he's somehow reinvigorated. I think the whole process. I think he feels relieved that he's out of, out of Georgia. I think it got. I think it was a lot worse than than it was led on to believe, and I think it was a lot more of a mutual decision than led on than previously led on to believe. Um, and and he's really, I mean, he he's been after it in the recruiting game. He's been, you know, he's been working his tail off trying trying to close hard. And I think he will. He's he's gotten a few. He's gotten a couple of guys to flip from uh, from uh, Georgia down to Miami. But his, I think, for him, his biggest his biggest project right now is to hold on to uh, South Florida playmaker Sam Bruce um, out of St. Thomas Aquinas. Um, right now, I think uh, old, I think Ohio State is the leader. Uh, he's currently committed to Miami. Um, he's just got to be Mark Rich. Just got to be able to hang on to him. Um, and as far as like on the field, on the field stuff, I, I think the staff he's hired is infinitely better than what Golden had. Um, I think you'll see a lot better product on the field. Um, and uh, you know, I, I think that you know he's licking his chops to get a chance to work with Brad Kaya because I think Brad Kaya is a really talented quarterback. He was just undercoached, so. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Josh, I know you love Brad Kaya. Yeah, I mean, you think about all the talent that Miami's had the last few years. Brad Kaya, Duke Johnson was a really good running back. They have playmakers. The problem for Miami is much like USC. It's do they have the right X's and O's guy? Because they're always going to get talent. The city will always sell itself. And Mark Richt knows game day coaching. I don't think Georgia fans ever had a problem with that. Well, so, eh. well, yeah, well, they did. He, he can be conservative. Yeah, he can be conservative, yeah. and his biggest Which, issue, in, in all honesty, is his time management, his clock management. Um, I think that's been, uh, I think that's gotten the best of him on several occasions. But overall, I, I think, yeah, he's a brilliant game day coach. Yeah, excellent. Well. um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it should be interesting to see how it plays down, plays out down there in Miami. But uh, heading up, heading up the coast uh, to Columbia, South Carolina, uh, Will Muschamp, after a one-year sabbatical as the Auburn defensive coordinator, and I say sabbatical because Auburn had no defense, um, he is now the man in charge of the Gamecocks, and this is a team that, um, you know, I mean, Spurrier was around for, uh, you know. What, 13, 14 seasons thereabouts. And he is now, um, you know, he, he's taking over a team that always has, um, uh, you know, some talent, but some, but some real issues, coach, right? Yeah, a lot of issues. So what, what are some of their issues right now? Let's see, where do I Will start? Will Champs, their coach. <laughs> <laughs> They've got issues everywhere. Um, <laughs> there's two, I mean, they got issues all over, across the board. Um, you know, I think if you look at them, they're not very deep. They're not, you know, I think, I, and when I say they're not very deep, you know, on their offensive line, they have maybe two guys that can, that can start, that have a chance of starting on any other team in the conference. Um, it's, uh, you know, they're just, they have no quarterback. 
Um, you know, I, I guess if you're leaning on Nunez as your quarterback, at, yeah, I don't know about that. Um, but so they've got a long way to go. But they've also added some some really good uh, commits. But they've also had to take some two star kids too. Um, some some kids that you know probably shouldn't be playing in the SEC. But I mean, where they are right now, they're probably going to have to do that at least for a year, maybe two. Um, but they, I think that if they can, they've got some guys in there that can coach these kids up. Um, it's just a matter of if they can, uh, if they can coach them up and develop them and develop some quality depth so that next year they can recruit a few studs and then they can just really build back to where they were, um, about three years ago when, when they had the Clownies and Lattimore's and Bruce Ellington's of the, of the world. Um, but right now I think their biggest recruit, uh, the biggest recruits are Marcus King, defensive back, Brandon, Brandon McElwain, quarterback. He comes in, four-star quarterback, so maybe he has a chance to start as a freshman. I don't know a whole lot about Brandon McElwain. Um, Brian Edwards, wide receiver. Um, they're going to be young, I can tell you that much. They're going to be young, and Muschamp, is, he's got himself a project, but um, he's, got, he's got some guys that, that have inroads to the state of Georgia, have really good inroads to the state of Georgia, mainly Brian McClendon comes in as a co-offensive coordinator, wide receivers coach. Um, Kurt Roper um, has been at a, at, a, at a bunch of southeastern schools, been at Florida, been at Duke, um, you know, most recently. So they got some guys that can recruit the southeast pretty well. It's just a matter of whether they can do it. Um, and it's just a matter of whether or not um, Kirby Smart does it at Georgia and see it'll be a competition between Smart and Muschamp, best buds, um, best buds from UGA are going to be competing against each other year in and year out. So it's going to be, I think the East is going to be a lot of fun. Tennessee comes in as the most talented team in the East. They're actually recruiting really well. Um, You know, then you have Florida who's going to have a top 10 class. Um, And then you have Georgia and South Carolina. South Carolina is probably going to be the youngest, but they're going to compete. So it'll be a fun year in the East. We'll see how it all shakes out. I think Florida is going to come out with the top class in the East. Follow um, unless Georgia closes the way a lot of people think they're going to close, and they'll be really strong, so uh, it'll be a fun, it'll be a fun signing day for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, Josh, if, if you're a recruit, what's the allure of going to Columbia at this point? There is none. Um, look, Will Muschamp is going to fail spectacularly. Uh, he was a terrible coach at Florida. Just was so stubborn, refused to do anything offensively. Uh, you saw Farrell Cooper, South Carolina's best player, basically declare for the draft about as early as humanly possible as soon as he knew Muschamp was going to be the coach. And he needed to be humble. He needed to get fired, which he did, and then get a coordinator with a good coach and relearn how to do his job, much like Lane Kiffin did. He was only at Auburn for one year, and Gus Melzahn – has fewer wins in his first three years than Jim Chizik did in his first three years. So Gus Malzahn's not a very good coach, in my opinion, either. So it's just going to be a three-and-out situation at South Carolina. I wouldn't sign there, and I think you're seeing a lot of two-and-three-star kids being like, oh, I, I get to play in a premier conference, something I would not have gotten to do. And, and they'll get playing time early. Yeah, so... It, that team is depleted. Yeah, I mean, this. the more I've thought about it, of all the power conference hires, Muschamp's my least favorite right now, by a wide margin. Your least favorite by a wide margin. Wow, that's saying something. Yeah, I think... I of, think the, the, of the coaches hired... Of the coaches hired in this class, I'm putting my money where my mouth is. He's the first to get fired. Okay. Uh, I, to be honest with you, Josh, yeah, put it on the board. To be honest with you, Josh, though, I think the I think the one thing he has going for him is that his staff, I think, is a lot better at, that he hired now than he did at Florida. I think he's done a lot better job at hiring staff uh, this time around. That doesn't necessarily translate, but it might give him a better shot at not getting fired after three years. <laughs> um, still, he's got to. Uh, 
he's got to find a way to not be such a wild man because I think it I think it distracts from his ability to coach. That's his biggest problem. He's a friggin' psycho on the sideline, and <laughs> that just you don't need that. You don't need that guy as your head coach. You need that guy. You need the psycho that's gonna headbutt a plate glass window. You need him as your defensive coordinator. No, you, you need, need him as your strength and conditioning coach, not as you know someone who's calling X's and O's. He's got to give a level head out there. That's so, true. Well, that's let's true. Uh, let, let, let's move on from the SEC, run up to the ACC, and talk Justin Fuente real quick. So, um, obviously, Fuente uh, hired away from Memphis after they had a phenomenal year, um, and he takes over a Virginia Tech program that hasn't had a coaching change since the Reagan administration. <laughs> so, uh, so um, you know, actually, Josh, I'm gonna st- I'm gonna start with you here. Um, what What do you think is gonna be the biggest challenge facing Fuente as he goes, uh, you know, as he moves from the you know the the AAC to the ACC? Yeah, I mean, it, it's always tough with some of the smaller conferences where they're a little more patient, and we saw him you know, go through a three and nine year and then they exploded, went 10 and three. Um, But, you know, he was seven and 17 his first two years, but Memphis gave him that rope. He really got to develop packs and Lynch and stuff. And I don't think Virginia tech is going to be a school with a quick trigger, but I think some Hokie fans might be a little, little on edge if he starts out seven and 17. So that's, that's one thing Fuente has to keep an eye on um, to, to really succeed there. I think the other thing for Fuente is when you're at Memphis, you know, you're recruiting two, three-star guys. You, you know, you're not really going after the big names. So I don't know if he's used to recruiting these stellar athletes, but we've talked about it at length. Virginia is a very deceptively deep state. When you look at their rankings – they have a ton of four- and five-star guys that Virginia Tech should be able to compete for. I mean, their only in-state competition is the train wreck of the Cavaliers. So uh, Fuente has to kind of rejigger his recruiting priorities, and it, it might take him a year or so to really kind of figure it out to run a Power Five conference program. It, it's just – a completely different animal. He'll be fine X's and O's. It's just some of the behind the scenes off season stuff that I think he'll have to adapt to. Yeah, I think he'll have to uh, I think he'll have to learn and this is kinda odd to say, but he'll have to learn how to work with a bigger recruiting budget. And that's not always easy. He's used to being that guy that doesn't start his recruiting till the week before signing day in Memphis because you're waiting to see where everybody else shakes out and falls <laughs> out. Um I think the key, I think the key piece of this class is four-star quarterback Gerard Evans. I think he gives you a chance to come in. This is going to be next year's going to be a fun year to watch with all the freshman quarterbacks in, in uh, high-profile spots, especially for. Well, I mean, Evans is a community college transfer, so I think he's uh, he's going to be coming in with uh, with with a sophomore eligibility, I believe. Yeah, he'll he'll be a little bit more seasoned, but you know, just for the for the sake of argument. Uh, this will be his first time coming into uh, Power Five. Mm-hmm. I, I think. I think what's interesting is is all of these new coaches, except Mark Rick, um, or actually all the guys that we have um, that are on at new places. And I'm excluding Tom Herman because he's not going anywhere. Um, but if you look at Kirby Smart, Mark Rick, uh, Will Muschamp, Justin Fuente, you know three of that three of those four are going to have uh, freshman quarterbacks. And then you throw in uh, Ole Miss, which uh, actually Shea Patterson will probably redshirt because Chad Kelly, I think, is coming back. Mm-hmm, he is. So Mark Rick's going to have Brad Kaya. Kirby Smart's coming in fresh with Jacob Eason. Justin Fuente's coming in fresh with likely Gerard Evans. Uh, will Muschamp, uh, I, I think that he's going to end up going with a young guy, uh, Brandon McElwain. So, you know, it's going to be an exciting year for young quarterbacks, and I think you're going to – be, I think it's going to be entertaining and it's going to be interesting to see which ones shine, which ones don't. Um, but uh, Felipe Franks comes in. I mean, as long as he comes in and, and, he, and his blood pressure is not, uh, you know, 130 over 110, 
and he has a pulse, and he can uh, stay upright for the most part, he'll win the job. I think if he can actually just show – I think the only skill he has to show is his ability to breathe. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) I think he'll win the starting job down there. Uh, So Florida's getting a new – a new quarterback, some much needed relief for for uh, for uh, Jim McElwain. So. Yeah, just yeah. Uh, I think you know they obviously uh, have they obviously had you know well documented quarterback issues last year. Uh, just going back to Virginia Tech for for just a second. They yeah, have, I got off on a tangent there. Sorry. Yeah, it's, it's okay. They have a ton of early enrollees. They have eight guys who've enrolled uh, who enrolled in January, which is about as high a number as I've seen anywhere. Yeah, and, and, and the, the, the great thing about it is actually um, with as many – with as heavy of an enrollee class, they can actually go above the 25 max limit because they can they can assign some of those early enrollees to last year's class, mm-hmm. and they can open up some spots for even more incoming freshmen. So that's actually a really good tactic to use, and I think that's going to be very beneficial to them because they get a spring practice uh, session in. Um, before the season starts with Justin Fuente. So um, I think that could have been the best thing that's happened to Virginia Tech. I think it's going to make them a lot more seasoned than uh, some of these other young teams around the, uh, around the country. So, um, but what he's, what he's working with is he's just going to have to just get in the groove of being a lot more high profile than he was at Memphis. Um, He's probably going to get pulled in 27 different directions where at Memphis, He's probably only getting pulled in three directions. Um, it's just a whole lot of factors goes into being a power five head coach that it kind of takes your focus away, and he's going to have to learn how to prioritize and delegate, and he's going to have to have a really good relationship with his SID and his AD to make sure that you know he plans his schedule efficiently and effectively. Um, and that that's a whole that's a learning process with any new head coach, but. You know, for him being new to this, I, I, you know, he has a little bit of experience with with that sort of thing, but it's a lot different at a school like Virginia Tech that that you know that just lives and breathes Virginia Tech football. But I think he'll be fine. This year will be kind of this year will be kind of bumpy for him because they just don't have much. You know, they're they're not they're not a they're not a heck of a lot of of a step up from Virginia. But I think what they have to do, they have to be successful so that they can have better control within their state. Because as Josh said, their state, their state, they're not really a sleeper anymore. They were for a while, but everybody knows they're loaded. They're kind of that mid Atlantic state that's loaded. Mm -hmm. Ohio state knows it. Maryland knows it. Tennessee knows it. Tennessee gets a lot of Virginia kids. Um, Penn State knows it. North Carolina knows North it. North Carolina knows it. Uh, yeah, a lot, lot, lot of teams have been dipping into Virginia recently. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, we we, we got to keep moving on here, and we just we want to talk real quick about uh, Tom Herman not going anywhere because obviously he was probably the hottest coaching name uh, anywhere in the country this year, and he uh, opted to re up uh, with Houston. And you know, Josh, I know you thought that this might lead to uh, Houston. Uh, you know joining the big 12. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of politics in it. There's a lot of moving parts. I just thought that if, uh, if the big 12 had been left out again, that they were, would have been grasping at teams. I thought Houston was a perfect fit, but um, so I, I was kind of ranking the Texas programs in terms of what they have going for them right now. This isn't a historical rankings, obviously, but I got UTEP dead last, Texas State, North Texas, San Antonio, Rice, SMU, Tech, A&M, Texas. My top three, and who would have guessed this, but in some order between continuity of their coaches and just electric offense and being in the Big 12, Baylor and TCU are up there. And then in terms of being in a great urban environment and a lot of momentum going forward, I've got Houston among the top three programs in this state. That's how big Tom Herman staying is, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, you look at their you look at their recruiting class. I mean, they're they're pulling a four star wide receiver, Tyree Cleveland. They're pulling uh, another four star receiver, Courtney Lark. Uh, they got a five star defensive tackle, 
Ed Oliver. They got a four-star offensive lineman, Nady Rogers. A lot of these kids are Texas kids, but you know they're you know they're kind of like the southern version of TCU. I mean, they're they're a well-run program in a in a great urban urban air, urban region. TCU has the Dallas Metro Fort Worth area um, that's loaded with high school talent. And to be honest, if TCU never left the Dallas Fort Worth area, they would be just fine. Same, <laughs> same with Houston. If they never left the Houston area, they would be just fine. They would, they would probably be just as successful, but um, you know, Tom Herman staying there says a lot about the direction of the program's going, says a lot about, um, the buy-in for uh, the administration, so I think it's uh, I think it's a great move. I think it's a great move for uh, for the university. I think it's a great move for Tom Herman. He's setting himself up to build this program into a Power Five school, um, and I like it a lot. I think he'll do a great job there. I think they they've shown they're willing to increase their budget. They're willing to pay a coach to stay there. They're willing to do what it takes to compete with the big boys. And and it's showing, I mean, they're, they're offering him $3 million. Obviously they're giving him the resources that he needs to pull the kids that Houston would have never imagined pulling. Um, so guys that are that guys that they don't have to develop tremendously. Now they have a few of those guys still because they're still Houston. They're still American athletic, but you know, I think there's a, this is probably one of the funniest looking classes because you have five star, five star, four star, four star, and then like down at the bottom of the list, you have like a bunch of you have like a bunch of uh, two stars, which is kind of funny. But I, I think it's tremendous, um, and I think it brings great parity to the state of Texas with Tom Herman staying. Yeah, I mean, you know, at this moment, they might be the best team in Texas. Uh, TCU probably has something to say about that, and Baylor might. But, you know, that's a nice – Baylor, I think Baylor's the best team in Texas. You think Baylor's the best team in Texas right now? Okay, quick yeah. straw poll. Josh, who's the best team in Texas? Hmm, I had Houston when I did my rankings. So, I mean, I just love that they're in, a, in an urban center, which TCU also has. Baylor's kind of the odd team in Waco. You don't know how many kids they really get. So I would say flip a coin between the Horned Frogs and the Googers. All right. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that I'd, I'd probably take the Cougars just because of my unabashed uh, love for the AAC. <laughs> so, um, well, um, before we take off, uh, any parting shots? I have one. Um, you know, I would be I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about this because in the, in the recruiting season and the whole recruiting landscape, um, I, I think what gets overlooked a lot, and, and probably because the, the bigger names don't need these anymore, um, but the whole camp circuit, the whole seven-on-seven seven circuit, I, I think there's a lot of value in that. And I, I think if you're, a, if you're a guy that's – or if you're a high school kid, especially a, a fr- especially a, like if you're a rising sophomore, rising junior, um, I, I think it's uh, – you know, I, I think it's something that, you know, you need to partake in, uh, more so probably the camps and the seven-on-seven seven deals. Um, but I think it's something you need to partake in and something you need to do if you can afford it. And if you have, and if it's feasible for you, I think you need to visit as many camps as you can. Um, I've been fortunate to uh, work to actually get on board with, uh, with a great organization here in Nashville called the National Playmakers Academies. And uh, we, uh, we, we train, we train student athletes and we give them all the tools they need to be successful at the next level, both on the field and off the field. So and I think it's I think it's starting to kind of pay off some dividends. You know, you're seeing some guys get some big time offers. Some guys that I didn't think were ready to get those big time offers, like a kid that I had down at Blackman named Joseph Sewell. He just pulled. He just recently got an offer from Vanderbilt. Um, that was his first offer, or maybe been his first major offer. Um, so very excited to see that. A kid out of Franklin who we're going to be going against at Lebanon uh, just pulled an offer from Texas A&M. I uh, didn't see that one coming, but he's about six six about 250 so doesn't shock me that he was going to get offers it just shocked me that he got an offer now um you have a couple of twins from uh davidson academy um big boys got lsu offers uh things like that i mean these these kids are starting to blow up now because they're actually putting in the extra effort to get themselves better and uh you know we're, we're we're providing some support with some great resources and just getting their name out there 
Um, and I, I know I have been lately and, uh, just wanted to give them props for, uh, for just kind of opening my eyes to this whole process and, and just give me another avenue to be a coach, be a mentor, be, you know, help somebody succeed at the next level beyond the school that I'm coaching at. So I'm uh, very fortunate to, to be on with such a good organization and, uh, hopefully that'll continue on as well. And maybe, maybe our podcast can be, uh, can, can be linked to them a little bit more. Um, maybe they, I don't know, probably not, but we can, uh, but it's, it's a great organization nonetheless. And, uh, I really enjoy doing it. Excellent. Uh, Josh, anything for you? Yeah, I was just going to real quick uh, be a homer and turn this into an Iowa podcast just super quick. On the recruiting front, they have three tight ends that they all signed. All are three stars. Uh, TJ Hawkinson and uh, Sean Beyer are local kids. Didn't have too much uh, attention. Beyer was offered by Nebraska. Um, but they also got Noah Font, who um, this is an intriguing kid that they signed. He's the number one prospect in the state of Nebraska, 26th best tight end in the country. And Iowa loves to have tight ends impact their receiving game. So that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, Jacob Coons, a linebacker out of Solon, is someone that I'm kind of curious about. Solon, uh, for local uh, prep stuff, is a football juggernaut in their division. A few years ago, they produced James Morris, who went on to the NFL after a solid career at Iowa. And then for next year, uh, this 12-2 and season already paying off, they got A.J. Epinesa, the uh, number one prospect uh, for 2017 from the state of Illinois, number one in his uh, position as a defensive end and 27th nationally. He's a four-star kid. Hopefully he uh, keeps working hard through his senior year, doesn't let – the hype and already having his college kind of uh, derail him into a lazy senior season. Let's see him finish it strong. And then also to keep the Homer streak going, uh, let's give a shout out to the Iowa athletic department. They are currently number two ranking in wrestling. They're currently number nine in basketball, but with the upsets we'll be moving on up. They're number two in the Ken Palm for people who like uh, that basketball ranking system and their football program finished ninth in the year. I'm not seeing too many programs that are currently uh, top 10 across their three major sports. So that's off to Iowa. It's a good time to be a Hawkeye fan back in the Midwest after having spent some time in California. It's fun to be back even with the snow. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Epinesa, just uh, I believe he's a legacy. His father played for the Hawks in the in the 90s, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, I like that we got him, but I'm glad you brought up that he is a legacy player. I want to see Iowa get a four- or five-star kid with no connection to the program. I think that would be cool. That would really show how this Rose Bowl run uh, has paid off in the recruiting department. But they'll, they'll come in slowly but surely. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, and uh, I, I just want to give out give, give a, a shout-out to uh, Isaiah Laudermilk, Isaiah with two H's at the end of his name. Uh, this kid is plays eight-man football in Kansas. Uh, he's, he's committed to Wisconsin. He's 6'7", 285, uh, and he played every single position um, on defense for them at some point this year, including corner. Um, he's, an, he's a ridiculous athlete, but completely overlooked because he plays eight-man football. Uh, he's a kid who I think is going to come into Wisconsin have some real, uh, uh, you know, make an impact early on just because of his, his sheer size, so... Well, um, that's actually a good thing to go off of because um, Iowa gets a lot of kids from eight-man ball. And yeah, Ferentz was saying he likes that because they get so many positions that they can be used for a lot of stuff. And this goes back to my thing where recruiting is fun to talk about, but it's not the be-all and end-all because Dallas Clark was a walk-on eight-man ball linebacker, switched to tight end, went on to the pros and has a borderline Hall of Fame resume as a pro tight end and was fantastic in college. And, and he came completely nowhere. Like, there, I don't know if Rivals was around that many years ago, but if it was, he certainly was not a rated athlete. So this is fun to debate, but at the end of the day, these kids still need to have their work ethic. And, Coach, I'm sure you preach that with all your players. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, that's 
really when you get there, it's all that matters. I mean, if you're a good player, the pro scouts will find you. You'll find a way on the field, and that's that's the absolute truth. I mean, J.J. Watt, uh, another guy, he started his journey in Central Michigan, decided he didn't want to be at Central Michigan, decided it was his dream to play for Wisconsin, transferred, came in as a walk-on, and the rest is history. I guess you guys know the rest of the story for J.J. Watt. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, no, another another unheralded star. Uh, Thomas Davis was, was a guy that uh, was very unheralded in high school. Didn't have, I think his only offer was Grambling State. And then uh, it wasn't until Brian Van Gorder saw him at a basketball game that he offered him a scholarship <laughs> to come play at the University of Georgia. And now look at him. He's a uh, – you know, he's been in the NFL for a long time. He's been able to, uh, you know, somehow come back from three ACL tears and make a Pro Bowl. And, you know, I mean, the guy's special. I mean, you know, David Pollock was a two-star fullback. Ended up being a first-round pick before he broke his neck. Um, I mean, I could go on forever about unheralded guys. Tim Jennings. Possibly the granddaddy of them all. Tom Brady's dad sent VHS tapes to schools. He wasn't that recruited. His dad was sending out tapes, and then we all know what happened. I mean, he couldn't even hold down a starter job at Michigan. Now he's arguably the best quarterback in NFL history. What about A.A. Ron Rogers? He was he wasn't he was a JUCO kid, <laughs> highly requ- highly uh, recruited. Uh, Tim Jennings for the Bears. He was a two star kid, uh, last minute signing day guy for for Georgia. Ended up playing. He's still playing in the league now. Uh, Jimmy Leonard, who had a ten year career in the NFL after playing, uh, was a walk on at Wisconsin. Uh, same thing, Jared Aberderis walk. I mean, Wisconsin, Wisconsin, Nebraska, two schools with huge walk-on traditions. Iowa as well. You know, a lot of those Midwestern schools really uh, the lifeblood of their programs in a lot of ways is the walk-ons. But uh, we need to wrap it up for tonight. So, um, so uh, I want to thank you guys uh, for sticking with us uh, through the off season. We'll be back, um, you know, with some more recruiting stuff, and then we're getting into a little bit of the silly season. For us, uh, we're going to be talking mascots, stadiums, game day traditions, all sorts of fun stuff, college towns for sure. So we're going to be talking all that stuff a little bit later in the off season. But uh, for now, on behalf of the coach, Corey Burton, and on, on behalf of our blogger, Josh Cook, I am the professor, Matt Perkins, saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.